o'clock on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It was a terrible start for the Carolina Panthers this season. It led to the firing of Matt Rule. Panthers fans thought it might be over after that, but Steve Wilkes coached them to a chance to win and get into the postseason as the interim coach. Now the question is, should he remain the head coach going forward? Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports wrote about that possibility. You can find him on Twitter at Yahoo Schwab. Frank, we are really, uh, really appreciate you joining us now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. How are you doing? Hey, good. How are you guys? Hey, we're doing well, Frank. We appreciate the time once again. And in your piece, you wrote about the possibility that David Tepper could bring Steve Wilkes on as the permanent head coach. We know that the players have been very vocal about wanting Steve Wilkes to remain as that guy. How much should their opinions matter to the owner and David Tepper? I think it should matter a lot. I, I mean... If you take a step back, and these are the guys with their finger on the pulse, they they are literally living it every day with him leading them. They've obviously responded really well. They played really well. I think I think it should matter a lot. I think that you don't necessarily just want to make a hire based on what the players want because you know they, they don't know all your options out there. They don't you know maybe you can maybe you feel like. Jim Harbaugh is going to be a better coach, and you can make that decision better than a player who doesn't know Jim Harbaugh. But I think the fact that it seems like, anyway, from being an outsider, every single Panthers player has been not just like, you know, kind of answering the question, but been very proactive and coming out and saying, we want Steve Wilkes. We, we want him to be considered for this job. He is a good coach. He has done a great job for us. I think that should matter in this whole evaluation process to say, Hey, if it, if it is Wilkes, if we do, we got a guy who the players have already responded to, and we kind of have a understanding already of what we're going to be getting out of him next season. You no, know, and Frank, I think you're right in the fact that okay, I guess you could ask the question: What else do you want players to say? Do you want them to not back up publicly their head right. coach? But it does seem extremely vocal. They are making the case constantly. I think there's a total difference. Yeah, between you, look, we, we, we real quick. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. There's a difference between like. We ask uh, Sam Darnold, hey, do you want Steve Wilkes back? Okay, he has to say yes. But it seems like, especially like Derek Brown yesterday, he was, it's very strong. There's a difference between, yeah, we really like him, and we, I'm going to go out of my way to say yes, we want him. Well, and J.C. Horn quote-tweeting that, you know, and saying, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. we absolutely want Steve Wilkes here. And so it begs this next question. If they do go a different direction and don't keep Steve Wilkes as the head coach, how much more pressure does that put on David Tepper to get it right? I mean, a lot. I wouldn't say extra, though, because there's always pressure. The quarterback and the coach are the two decisions you have to get right, and you are just going to be ridiculed almost if you don't get it right. You're probably going to lose a lot of football games if you don't get it right, too. I'm based in Colorado, and the general manager here, George Payton, has done a lot of great things. It really doesn't matter because he's he was instrumental in hiring Nathaniel Hackett and trading for Russell Wilson, and that hasn't worked out. So I just think that there's a ton of pressure on Tepper to get this right. And also there's this, you know, as you guys know, there's this growing uh, reputation he's getting as just being this impulsive, he just wants to do, like, everything big without really thinking it through. And that's why the Jim Harbaugh thing was no surprise at all, because he's a big name and he'd be splashy and, you know, he can make this big move when maybe the small, 
smaller move might end up being better. But, I mean, if he gets this wrong again after absolutely whiffing on Matt Rule, absolutely whiffing on all the quarterback decisions they've made, uh, yeah, it's, it, you're setting your franchise back every time you, you make a mistake in one of those two decisions, and, and the general manager too. So, I, yeah, a lot of pressure on him. Got to get it right because it's been a long time since the Panthers have had this go right. Frank Westbrine here. So if you were sitting in David Tepper's seat, and let's say you didn't hire Wilkes, what would the candidate that you would bring in have to have that maybe you see that Wilkes may not have at this moment or may not possess? And see, that's the thing. I, I'd, I'd go with Wilkes, honestly. Like, I, I get I get shooting high. I get Right, well, hypothetically, what would the candidate maybe have that maybe you feel like he might not have? Right, and and for Tep, I think it's just big name. Like I, uh, maybe a track record. Look, Jim Harbaugh's been in a Super Bowl. Like I mean, he has that track record that Steve Wilkes just doesn't have. Steve Wilkes has been a coach for one and a half seasons now, basically, and his record off the top of my head is about what would it be? About eight and seventeen or something like that. I, I mean, a little bit of the word eight and nineteen, I believe. So he doesn't have that track record. He doesn't have that, you know, the 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 big splashy name. But I think. That's all. I think everything else I want in a head coach, this is just me talking, and what do I know? But I like a guy who can lead. I I don't need a great X's and O's guy. That's what coordinators are for. I, I want a Mike Tomlin. I want a John Harbaugh. I want a guy who is obviously smart with football and, and understands the entire scheme, but I want a guy who leads. Because when you get into like, oh, this guy's the best play caller for this offense – you bring him in and you understand, understand pretty quickly, like Nathaniel Hackett in Denver, it's not the same job. The coaching, the head coaching job is completely different than the coordinator. And NFL teams get this wrong time after time after time, where they just go and get the best play caller they can get. And then they bring him in and realize being a play caller and a coach is pretty overwhelming. And usually the, the Sean Paytons and Andy Reeds of the world that could do both, it's pretty rare. So... For me, you know, what would a candidate have that Steve Wilkes doesn't have? It, it, it would just be track record to me, basically, or a big name or somebody could sell the fans on. Because I think that otherwise, if I'm just looking at candidates, Steve Wilkes, to me anyway, I, maybe I'm just being too uh, overrating too much what Steve Wilkes has done over these past 11 games or whatever it's been. But I really like what I've seen out of them. It's a team that was dead in the water at one and four, traded away their best player, and they have just found ways to win. They have. It really responded to him. He is a good leader. He got a raw deal in Arizona. He really did. He deserved more time there. So I don't hold that against him. I think he's a great candidate for them. Once you get beyond, hey, we know Jim Harbaugh is a Super Bowl coach. Uh, yeah, okay, I, I get that list. But once you get beyond that, I, I'm just sticking with Steve Wilkes rather than just going with the flavor of the month offensive coordinator of whatever team. Well, with what you feel about Coach Wilkes, do you feel like that he could go in with this team next season and just upgrade at different positions and this team can really make a run of things? Or do you feel like it is imperative for him to find that quarterback? And that's the thing. I but Look, I mean, we do have to give Sam Darnold some credit. He has looked pretty good the past, what, five, six weeks. I don't know that that means he's the answer, but that's – Look, that's the key. That's what Steve Wilkes didn't have the first time. He was coaching that Arizona Cardinals team with Josh Rosen as his quarterback. And Josh Rosen barely played since his rookie year because everybody kind of realized that he was really overdrafted. So quarterback's always going to matter. Uh, it does. But you can't, I, I mean, you just, you got to get the first thing right first, and that's the coach. Well, who's your best candidate as coach? What is the best thing you can do for the Carolina Panthers as a coach? And 
I think that in this NFC South, it's wide open, especially, I mean, I assume Brady's not going to be back with Tampa Bay next year unless there's massive changes there. So what team in the NFC South really seems to be rising? I think you can make an argument it's the Panthers. They do got to get the quarterback thing right, but a lot of other pieces are in place. If you get the right coach, and then you figure out the quarterback situation after that, I have no reason to believe the Panthers can't win, they can't win a division next season. Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports joining us on Wesson Walker, the Body Works Plus guest hotline, 92.7 FM. Frank, how attractive do you think this Carolina job is to a head coach? I don't know. That, that's a really interesting question. I think it's we, – we always overrate, like, oh, who's the quarterback? Because this is still – like, think about any of us picking a job, right? Like, there's a lot of things involved, where you live, uh, the people you're around, who you if you trust your bosses – I don't honestly think that working for David Tepper is something that's overly attractive to a lot of people right now, other than he's going to cut a lot of checks. I mean, we know that he's going to spend money, but I think overall, it's hard to say. I think it's a good place to live. It's a good place to be. You're not dealing, you know, you're not going to the AFC West where you got to deal with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the next 10 years either. So that part is a pretty soft landing for a coach. I think it's in the middle of the road. I think it's a it's a good opening. It's not great. It's not it's not one of those where you know teams are just going to be pounding down the door to talk to David Tepper about this job opportunity. But I think it's just fine, and I think that the right candidate can look at that job opening and see the potential of it, especially in the short term with the NFC South not being very good. Yeah, Frank, you also, you know, t- you talk about the division. You mentioned that you would be surprised if Tom Brady was back with Tampa Bay. So how much of this attractiveness, if you will, you know, as we're talking about the weak division, where does New Orleans rank as far as their future projection? Same thing with Atlanta that still doesn't have their quarterback unless you think Desmond Ritter could be the guy. And then same with Tampa who might lose Tom Brady. I mean, how long is it going to take before this division gets back to any kind of respect level with a couple of uh, Super Bowl representatives in the last decade. Yeah, I mean, good points. I mean, it's going to be a few years. I mean, unless you just hit on the quarterback. Like, let's say one of these teams, whether it's New Orleans or in Carolina, it brings in Derek Carr, and and he just, you know, plays like he did last season and is really good right away. Okay, that can turn it around pretty quick. That's the thing about the NFL. We always overrate this whole Oh, you set your franchise back this many years. You, you it's going to take this many years to dig out of this hole. It's not everybody's like it's set your franchise back ten years. Ten years is like six lifetimes in the NFL. <laughs> we, we just overwrite that so much. Five years is a lot. You could turn around pretty much any situation in two or three years with the right draft picks, hit on the right quarterback, and all that kind of stuff. So I think with any of these teams. If you just hit the right quarterback, whether it's in the draft, whether you know you you go out and you get your Dak Prescott in the third round, you just hit that lottery. I, it's hard to do, but if if one of these teams can do that, it's wide open for somebody to be really really dominant in this division for the next few years. It's just every every single team has to figure out the quarterback. I don't believe Desmond Ritter is the answer in Atlanta, at least not based on what we've seen. I don't want to bury him yet; he could be, but not based on what we've seen yet. I don't think New Orleans has any idea who its quarterback of the future is, and then. Tampa, yeah, they're they're probably unless Brady does come back, and even if he does, he's forty six. One way or another, Tampa's kind of going into this uncertain future quarterback too. So, hey, it's right there for Carolina to be that team to to take charge of this division and say, you know, we're one good draft and the quarterback decision right away from winning two or three division titles in a row. What do you think the perception of this team would be from the outside as far as how? Uh, coaches other coaches and players would view this Panthers organization if they don't hire Steve Wilkes 
I, I think it would just have to. It, it just depends on who they hire. I think if it is Harbaugh, who is just the name? I just you know, I mean, there's a handful of names out there that are just such big names. You, I, I don't think anybody would fault them for that. I think if I even think honestly, Steve Wilkes would kind of be like, well, okay, Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna do that. He's a huge name, and again, he's had a great great success with the 49ers back in the day. So I think if it's a hire like that. You kind of look at it and you say, okay, that, that makes sense. Now, if he goes and hires some kind of random college coach again and pays him $62 million like he did Matt Rule, I think that people will roll their eyes a little bit and say, what's this guy doing? It's just an inter- I think it just depends on who he would hire other than Steve Wilkes. I think it, if it's a justifiable hire, you go get – I mean, I'm trying to – I, I, I'm just trying to think of somebody who might be on the market who you'd want. Like, like, uh, not that this would happen, but if Mike Tomlin wasn't, it didn't return to the Steelers. They hired him. Everybody in the world would say, "Oh, that's a that's a great hire." Who can? You know, sorry, Steve Wilkes, but it just wasn't your time. Whereas if they just hire some, they hire the Philadelphia Eagles offensive coordinator. I, I don't. I, I just wonder if people would think, does David Tepper know what he's doing? I think there's a lot of skepticism about David Tepper as far as who he is as an owner. If he, look, he's a guy who made his billions you know wall street basically he's not a football guy he doesn't necessarily know how to run a football business he just i believe from the outside looking in viewed this as i can just overtake this by the force of my personality and i'm just gonna make all these big moves and we're gonna be winners right away when you realize the nfl is a different world than the business world so i I think there's a lot of skepticism about tepper and it'll be very interesting to see how this coaching hire uh, shakes out that's Frank Schwab joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Follow him on Twitter at Yahoo Schwab. Just ar- uh, dropped an article yesterday about the Panthers and how the players have shown support for Steve Wilkes to getting that permanent job. You can check that out. Short read on yahoosports.com. Frank, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. A lot of good stuff there. We'll put that on the website, WFNZ.com. You can click our podcast page. Wes and Walker will have that up and running for you just a little bit later on in the day. We'll come back, maybe share some thoughts on what Frank had to say about the Carolina Panthers. We do have to get to the Charlotte Hornets game last night. They got routed by the Grizzlies. Are we impressed with LaMelo's production, especially being the fourth youngest player to reach this specific milestone? Find out next on Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Seven zero four number road in the garage door guru text line at seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Went to the Hornets game last night. Outplayed and outclassed. We don't have much talent. We need major changes. Those are the things that Hornets fans are feeling right now after the Hornets get destroyed. 131 to 107. Offensively, they weren't hitting shots. The first quarter happened and they were down 14 points immediately. It would basically go to a 30-point difference between the two. And then eventually the Grizzlies would uh, win scoring 131 points. How about John Morant just hanging out in the backcourt? without touching the basketball. So if nobody saw it, if you haven't seen it on social media, later on in the game, when the Grizzlies had already won, I mean, the it was a 30-point difference between the two, as I mentioned. If you do not touch the basketball in the backcourt, then you don't have the eight-second violation start, and you don't have the shot clock start. So John Morant allowed the basketball to roll into the backcourt, and he didn't touch it. And he continued not to touch it, and he continued to let it just sit there. 
until 25 seconds pass. That's right. A whole possessions worth of time passes before eventually Terry Rozier forces John Morant to pick up the basketball. And finally, we start playing. I think John Morant has done this before, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't know if it's gone that long and it wasn't a great look. Maybe you are a little frustrated with John Morant for doing this. But also, it's not a great look for the Charlotte Hornets to just allow that kind of time to tick off before eventually you go and press John Moran in the backcourt to make him pick up the basketball. What did you think of John Moran just leaving that ball on the ground, Wes? I mean, John just, you know, he's always doing something, but that was a bit bizarre. (laughs) You didn't like it. I think we were talking pre-show and you didn't like John doing that to the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, I thought the best part was that you could see Steve Clifford just staring at him. Oh, he was mad. Like, he was just giving him, like, I guess his death stare. And I guess, like, for me, like, I'm a basketball purist. I like to see the game be played the way that it's meant to be played. How's that? That's not basketball. But, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, what's Well, that's weight. A little bit of four corners, a little bit. I mean, is there any part of that just holding the basketball and wasting time off That's the clock? That's different, though, because there okay. wasn't a shot clock, and you still you still had to move the ball across the timeline. I didn't know the shot clock made things different. I just wanted to make sure. Well, yeah, the, the whole reason the shot clock wasn't instituted into the college game was because of the four corners offense. Well, I know, but I didn't know talking about the ways to play, right? Like, you have very specific rules, according to Josh Fiddy Marlowe, how you play tennis is this way. How you play basketball is this way. We'll learn more of your rules. I just didn't know it changed with the shot clock, but go ahead. But uh, Yeah, so I, I just thought the best part was like you could see the veins and, and Steve Clifford's head. like they, they were ready to bust. So who are you more mad at? Are you mad at Ja or are you mad at the Hornets for allowing that much time to tick off? Oh, no, I'd be mad at my team. Yeah, yeah they didn't play any defense yeah, all was... night, so what's the point of getting mad? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, and it's been a rough go for the Hornets defense, even offensively. It's just been, it's not been good after the OKC win. You thought maybe the homestand would help them out after the West Coast road trip, but they, they've lost three straight after that Oklahoma City victory. And here's Steve Clifford discussing how they brought a nice effort, but you got to bring it every single night. You know, I just told the guys is we, we've played hard most of the year. Um, that's been a, you know, we've, we've worked hard in games. We've gotten back into games. When you play a team like that, that's built, obviously they're super talented, but they're very well coached. They're tough as nails. You've got to compete with those guys on every dribble. Friday night will be the same. So hopefully um, that's been a thing I've been proud of with these guys. They've done a good job with that. And tonight we weren't as good when we got behind. I was talking about this with Doug on Locked On Hornets, and Doug brought up how the Grizzlies might just be the worst matchup in the NBA for the Hornets because of how physical they are, because of how defensive-centric they can be surrounding certain players, because they have size. I mean, Steven Adams is an absolute beast on the boards. Looks like it, too. Jaron Jackson, if you look at his defensive block percentage, it is in a stratosphere by himself in all-time NBA history. It's Jaron Jackson, Gap, 7-7 Manute Bowl a few seasons. That's the kind of area we're talking about when it comes to block percentage in a season and what Jaron Jackson is doing right now. And they didn't play defense, Wes. So is there anything that Steve Clifford can do? You know, uh, is there anything... We we get to see LaMelo produce, and he reaches a milestone last night, becoming the fourth youngest player in NBA history to record a thousand assists. That's an impressive stat. LeBron James is number one in that category. But are you impressed with LaMelo's production? Is there anything Steve Clifford can do with this team to get them playing better defensively and offensively? I don't know that there is, and I'm sure he preaches it till he's blue in the face, but last night, 
you look at this basketball game, 28 free throw attempts for the Grizzlies in the first half, okay? That's ridiculous. That's the second highest first half total for a Charlotte opponent this season. That just shows you don't care about defense. You're reaching. You're not playing discipline. You're not giving the effort. As far as LaMelo goes, yes. I introduced this topic because, like I said, I'm watching the game last night. He chucks up a logo three while they're down 16 points. And just the leadership, <laughs> the lack of that I see from him. And I know he's young. But like I said, man, I and, you know, you don't want to turn into the old man and back in the day and this and the third man. But, I mean, where's the dog at? Where's the will to win? When you look at these numbers, man, I, seven out of the last eight games, he's shooting 40% or less from the field. Five out of those eight games, he's shooting 33% or less from three. He's taking 22 shots per game during this eight-game stretch. And, you know, when you look at his overall numbers this season, he's shooting 11 threes per game, 20 and a half field goals per game overall. That would put him seventh in NBA history. And I know that it's a different era and all that type of no, stuff. No, it's a lot. But – I mean, come on now, your point guard, and I'm not the, the, the basketball purist that the point guard should be this and that, but come on, you're taking as many threes as Steph Curry, not nearly the shooter he is. He's a good shooter, but not Steph. And like I said, his 20 and a half field goals per game would put him seventh overall in NBA history, man. And I just feel like that there's a lot of empty calories in these numbers he's getting because I judge point guards a lot like I judge quarterbacks. Are you winning? Is your team playing great because of you? Are you holding guys accountable? That's your job as a point guard. Championship point guards over the course of history hold their teammates accountable. They don't care about making friends. They don't care what looks cool. They don't care about any of that stuff. They want to win. He's also and 20 I, years old, though. It don't matter. You're the best player on the team. You're the franchise player. Exert some attitude. John Morant gets out there. I, I, he looks to me like a guy who holds his team accountable. He looks to me like a guy who, you know, is, is playing to win as far as just doing the little things and playing smart basketball, controlling the tempo of games. And even if the end result is a lot, you can still try. And so it's just a lot of what I see, and we can get into some of the intangibles. And like I said, I was a huge LaMelo fan coming in. But it's time for him now to start growing up and think about playing winning basketball. And I'm just not seeing that. Like I said last night, it was just a small glimpse. But like I said, shooting logo threes, you down 16, settling for long threes and all that type of stuff, doing celebrations when you're getting killed. It's, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so it's like him being the face of franchise, a lot of people say, oh, well, he wants to stay in Charlotte for the long term. But at the end of the day, too, you still have to show some things that show championship traits. And I'm just not seeing that from him. I see a lot of empty calories in the numbers. I see a lot of inefficiency. And, uh, you know, I just want to see him just really start to mature into a player that demands uh, excellence from his teammates as well as himself. Yeah, I, I don't know about the leadership right now because he is young. I know you bring up that John Morant looks like he is demanding a lot of his teammates. He did have the college route for John Morant. He is a couple of years older. It's now in his fourth season on top of being older. So there is a couple of years gap between the two. To your point, LaMelo at some point himself will probably have to do that as the face of the franchise. And it's always a little bit of an interesting development there because you do have Terry Rozier, who you share backcourt responsibilities with yeah. and is known as a veteran. Gordon Hayward, not a vocal leader. Don't think anybody has mistaken him for that, but also a veteran. So maybe you're trying to figure out a way to integrate yourself within a couple of veterans that are on this basketball team. I, I do think the empty calorie stuff, LaMelo's got a lot of talent. 
Yeah, there's no denying. And, and I think the last couple of years, remember all the articles that were written about him, his rookie season, so many people made the point that he affected winning as a rookie, which is really hard to do, especially for some 18, 19 year old coming in. You would look at Brian Windhorse articles on ESPN. So many of the surveys Lamelo is affecting winning right now because he does make players better. I still think he makes players better because he does when, when he drives into the paint, that pass to Jalen McDaniels at the top of the key was absolutely filthy last night. Mm -hmm. And he, Drew a lot of people into the paint. Baseline, one-handed granny pass on a laser beam to Jalen. It was pretty nuts, and there's not many people that can make that pass. So if we're talking about empty stats, I understand that. But also, I think there's a lot of good players that have that on bad teams, and it's just going to happen that way because the team is losing. He's, his efficiency is bad. The shot selection is bad right now. I think some of that is also feeling the responsibility to take them to the next level, and that's probably not his game right now. So there's a bunch of little weird things when trying to evaluate what Melo has. Fiddy, I know you wanted to say something. I just wanted to ask a follow-up with Wes. Wes, you covered this team closely night in, night out a mm -hmm. year ago. Same for you, Walker. We, talk, we we heard so much from James Berger, how much he took on being that mentor to LaMelo Ball. Mm -hmm. How much do you think that absence is affecting LaMelo's growth and leadership on and off the court? Because we heard a lot about that from JB, from LaMelo himself. I know LaMelo's fought injuries, and not that Steve Clifford hasn't talked glowingly about LaMelo. He has. But it, there does appear to be a difference in their relationship from what we had with James Borrego. Yeah, um... You see with Borrego last year, a lot of people sometimes will have issues with when he would take LaMelo in and out. But Borrego was a guy that he would bench LaMelo if he saw some stuff out of him that he did not like. He would make him sit down and, and, and give him a talking to or whatever. And so, like I said, I, I pointed to that moment last night when he took that ill-advised three when they were down by so much. And I was just like, man, you know, I feel like Clifford is kind of maybe handcuffed as far as what he could say or what he could do or does he feel like that he can do. Um, some of those things, because I'm like, a lot of coaches would have taken him out and set him on the bench after making a decision like that. And so uh, I do think that that relationship is something that maybe uh, is having an effect on the way he's playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the relationship was like between James Brego and LaMelo Ball. I don't know what it's like between Steve Clifford and LaMelo. I do feel that LaMelo has not been a problem with coaches, right? I mean, he might be young, but we have not heard at all assistant coaches, whether it be the head coaches in Borrego or Clifford discuss how much of a problem he is. Everybody talks about how he's a gym rat. The first story that Mitch Kupchak told was that he asked in their first meeting to go find a gym. And Steve Clifford has praised that over and over again when asked about his, his star point guard. But right now it, it's, yeah, it, this is a team that <laughs> is last in the Eastern conference standings alongside the Detroit Pistons. And we're halfway through the season. This is going to be a team that has a shot at getting Wimby or Scoot Henderson, having one of those top three lottery odd picks because they've got 10 wins right now and Kelly Oubre is not coming back. Who knows how long Gordon Hayward's going to sit out. Cody Martin is going to have to knock off the rust. You saw that kind of affect him last night, not shooting the ball well from the field. It's going to take a little while. And so when you get to the end of the season, they're going to be towards the bottom of the standing. We had the conversation last week about should the Hornets model the way that the Thunder are rebuilding their roster and their franchise. But we just you know talked about how bad how bad of a matchup Memphis is for 
the Hornets. A lot of it is that they've done a really good job in the draft. It feels like they have nailed every draft yeah. pick for the last five years. We know that Bobby Marks has had some really harsh words for the organization and their drafting practices. Is Memphis a team with a star like Ja to Lamelo that they sh- maybe Mark Williams is to us what Jaron Jackson is to them? That the Hornets should try to model themselves as they try to rebuild themselves in the Eastern Conference? Sure, but it's a lot easier said than done because the model is hit on all of your draft picks, right? Because they hit on John Moran. Even though that was clear night and day, Zion was going to go number one. Mm -hmm. It was an easy decision for John Moran to go to, and it's why Knicks fans were mad. Because even though you get the third overall pick, you knew you weren't getting John Moran and you weren't getting Zion Williamson. So easy pick, still made it. Jaw's been awesome, and you've put talent around him. You hit on Jaron Jackson, which has he's battled a lot of injuries throughout his short career. So it's taken some time, but he looks like an absolute beast this season. You hit on Desmond Bain, who's been an excellent scorer. Brandon Clark off the bench. Xavier Tillman off of the bench is an undersized big coming out of Michigan State. So, yeah, the, the, the blueprint is hit on all your draft picks. And Memphis has done that. We can go to quite a few teams. You know, I think the Pacers are always a team that you could point to and say, if you don't want to tank, that is a nice blueprint to follow because the Hornets have to walk before they run. Hell, they've never reached the conference finals before, ever. Not in any iteration of the way that this team has been playing professional basketball. Well, when you look at Memphis, too, though, one thing I think that I could point out that is very glaring now, the versatility of their guys outside of Steven Adams, because you look at Jaron Jackson and you're uh, asking about him and Mark Williams is that, you know, Jaron Jackson's a career 35 percent uh, three-point shooter. So they have guys up and down that lineup that are really versatile because they can shoot. But then it's their mentality. They love to play defense. They love to get after people. They have a toughness and a grit. They have a uh, mantra about coming into their building. When you come in there, they're going to make it as difficult on you as possible. They want to lock you up. They want to embarrass you. They want to get after you in every way you can. And that stems from John Morant on down. Yeah. And that's the big difference with Memphis and a program like Charlotte's right now. It's just that mentality of Memphis. They are a tough-minded, gritty basketball team, and that is what is sorely lacking here in Charlotte. Oh, man, grit and grind with the Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol days. Yeah. It's reincarnated, man. Yeah. I mean, because— I loved the grindhouse back in the day. How could you not? It's Tony so, Allen was a beast oh, as a perimeter defender. First team all defense. First team all D. <laughs> Having somebody like that on the Hornets, yeah. he would immediately become a fan favorite. Right. Because we haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And it's why I'm, you know, probably putting Mark Williams in the Hall of Fame despite playing five games, right? <laughs> it's because I I love watching a M&DSJ, center. MNDSJ, baby. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for them to get in Springfield one day. But the, pro- the, the reason is because we haven't had a center with a presence before. Yeah. Mark Williams had his struggles going against a crazy physical basketball team. But you see some emotion from him. I mean, he blocked Jaron Jackson's shot last night. It was a dunk, mind you. And they called him for what was a bogus foul. It wasn't a foul call. He got all ball. But even so, Mark Williams was called for it and got emotional. I thought he made it a really nice read when there was an open shooter in the corner. Came off of his man in the post. And because he has... 10 foot long arms, he was able to contest a little bit in the corner. So there are some nice things to watch, but you're right. We'd love a Tony Allen. We'd love a defensive first guy that is going to make the top five list of best defenders in the league. And Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, John Morant, Steven Adams. I mean, I've seen the x-rays, man. 
a lot of pit bulls in those rib cage. Yeah, man. I mean, that's I'm just telling you. <laughs> Grizzlies, bring it to the Spectrum Center. I hope the Hornets can, too. All right, Fiddy, on that note, let's get to the last Fiddy flash of the day. Uh, you caught me off guard. I know I did. I, I know I, I didn't hear the music drop. I don't have my music bed ready to go. So you, you know loved what? the analogy. That's what you love. This is the best part about being a dynamic producer is that I've got Jim Selania on the line. Oh, he okay. wants to talk some Hornets with you guys. So I'll give up my flash and, or my floor in the Fiddy flash. To go to Jim Selania. Jim, how you doing today, buddy? All right. All right, Fiddy. I owe you a hamburger and fries somewhere. Okay? <laughs> hey, you know, Wes, Wes, you were all over it, man. Accountability. Where is it? That's the saddest thing about watching this team play is accountability. But I wanted to ask you about LaMelo. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to make him sign another contract here? I'll guarantee you all he ever says is, I love basketball. I love basketball. You know he wants Bridges back on his team. I'll guarantee you he wants Bridges back on his team. Do you think that weighs into their decision? And I'll let you guys go. Oh, no question about it. We know the NBA is a player's league. The Hornets have a player here that has a chance to be uh, just a franchise player to the highest degree, one of the faces of the NBA. And this is not a guy that the Hornets can go out and sign and free agency year in and year out. So you better believe if LaMelo says, I want Miles or I am going, he's going to be back in the Hornets uniform. Yeah, the one thing that always has to be at the forefront of the conversation with LaMelo possibly leaving, it's the one-year rookie scale max where the starting salary, it can be the 25% maximum salary for a player that is going to be extended off of the rookie contract, and other teams can't give that type of money to LaMelo that the Charlotte Hornets can. And we have not seen any rookie turn that down yet. We we thought maybe with Zion. We thought that might happen, but it didn't. And then Zion is still playing with the Pelicans. So that is going to help in the spirit of the rule. It was supposed to help small market teams. We'll see if it helps this small market team here with the Charlotte Hornets. Thanks to Jim Selenia calling in, and thanks to everybody else for listening. Jimmy. We have one more segment to go on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. segment of Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ Kyle Bailey coming at you at 3 o'clock so just 15 minutes from now I want to go to what's on tap and talk about this Charlotte 49ers basketball game coming up tonight against Florida International Charlotte will be traveling down to FIU and the 49ers will bring their 11-3 and record with them how about being 2-1 and in conference Wes I am so here for all of the 49er love, getting to see Biff Pogey win Uh the fan base over with interviews such as he had with Mac and Bone earlier, the new head coach of the football team. And there were some real questions about Ron Sanchez's job security if he would not be successful this season. But he's gotten off to a tremendous start, winning 11 games now and the first 14 played so far this year. It seems like that defense is really rocking and rolling, bringing that pack line type defense from his days being an assistant coach with Tony Bennett and the Virginia Cavaliers. We just saw Bryce Williams win a player of the week in the conference and watch him continue to improve after his recruitment initially, man. Like I Charlotte athletics, if you're a fan, if you are a fan of 49ers athletics, not only can you be 
um, hopeful about the football team, but the basketball team is providing some actual tangible victories for you right now. I love to see it, man. Charlotte, as I said, that's one of the schools that I root for outside of my alma mater. So I want to see them get as good as they possibly can. I want them to be playing meaningful basketball, man. And I hope that maybe they can even get in a tournament. Well, Bryce Williams got that award because he scored 31 points off of the bench against Louisiana Tech and a 68-66 victory against their conference rival. So he was 9 of 12 from the field, hit three of the six three-pointers, went to the foul line and shot 14 attempts, made 10 of them. So really was excellent. And then my guy, Ali Khalifa, one of the more fun guys to watch in college basketball. You can make fun of me for calling him Nikola Jokic Light if you want to. I'm fine with it. Great passer. Well, they should win the national championship they, if they got Nikola Jokic light. They should. And if they get Dennis Smith Jr., then they are going to win the <laughs> national championship alongside Ali Khalifa, 7 of 9 from the field, 14 points in that most recent victory um, for Charlotte over Louisiana Tech, who's kind of gotten the better of them a couple of times. Mm. So I'm excited about Charlotte's game tonight against FIU. All right, Fiddy, what happened on this day? In Hold sports? on, Kane's back in action now. We're not going to do that. We started it. We got to stay consistent. Kane's and Predators tonight. I, oh, I'm, they're skating again? Yeah, yeah they're that. skating. <laughs> what do you want to say about the Kane? I just want to say, you know, the Kane's coming off the loss. We'll see. You know, they won 11 out of the last 12. Just mm-hmm. wanted to get that in, and they're playing the Preds tonight. The Preds. Yeah, the Preds. Okay, that's that's fantastic. That's the only analysis I have for you is that they're playing the Preds. <laughs> that's it. We need to get Troppy in here to talk a little bit more right. about the Hurricanes. Right. All right, now what happened on this day in sports history? On this day in 1997, the second year, Carolina Panthers behind John Casey's four field goals. They defeated the Dallas Cowboys 26-217 to advance to the NFC Championship game. And then on this day in 2003, Jeff Garcia hits Ty Streets with a 13-yard touchdown pass with one minute left. And the Giants botched the snap on a 41-yard field goal attempt as time expires in San Francisco's 39 238 victory. Great memory. The second biggest comeback <laughs> in NFL history. Wes, can you take us back to whatever a dorm apartment room you were in and how that how that was uh torn apart after that comeback was completed? Yeah, man, I was <laughs> during the game I did stop watching it for a while because I was so aggravated and then every time I turned back they were closer and closer. So I came back in and enjoyed the finish that almost gave me a heart attack. And then funny story. Uh, about that Carolina Panthers game. I was proud of the Panthers being in that moment for the first time. And I remember, uh, you know, going up, I said my family, religious, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And so they had a assembly or whatnot that was like, you know, you had to go and it was an all-day thing. Well, you know, I went to my grandmother that day because the 49ers also played the Packers that same day. I said, Granny, look, I know we got, you know, religious service or whatever, but... Um, 49ers playing tomorrow, and the Cowboys are playing the Panthers at home. I said, can I please stay home? And she left. Yeah, that, that's a great memory. <laughs> I imagine it's not a great memory. I had a ball. For, for the Giants, though, I remember the Giants talking about this game, the one that we just brought up, and Trey Junkin was the long snapper that had the botch snap, and I believe he had two in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Hearing Amani Toomer, the former Giants wide receiver, talk about that, I mean, they were angry at their long snapper, <laughs> as I would imagine. How how angry? I think we've talked about this before. 
maybe not a long snapper, but how angry would you get at kickers for failing within like a 30-yard scenario or uh, something like that? I don't get that mad at Walker. Unlike you, I respect specialists, yeah. and I know that their job is very hard. I know that I make mistakes on the football field as well, so I don't expect kickers to be robots and make every kick. <laughs> they have their bad moments, too, just like we all do on the field. I'm a, I'm a good teammate. So, so are you insinuating I'm not a good teammate? No, you're not at all. You don't respect the specialists. <laughs> I would have been pretty mad, too. Also, do you remember the Saints game where it was a chance to go to the playoffs and they play the Jacksonville Jags? They have the crazy lateral play. They score a touchdown and John Carney misses the extra point. They eventually would Isn't lose. Isn't that the one where they showed the people in the in the restaurant in New Orleans and they were cheering all hard? I think and that's they right. Back, yeah. I think that's right. He misses the extra <laughs> point and eventually um, they do not have that opportunity to go on to the postseason. That's one of the blunders. What are all some of the other all-time choke jobs after an initial uh, feat, right? Like a touchdown scored botch snap or extra point oh, miss. Oh, the, the was it the the Vikings kicker missing the field goal against the Ooh, Seahawks? Oh yeah, nah, I was mad <laughs> oh, about yeah, that. Blair Walsh was his name. Yes, I was mad about Ooh. that because Randy Moss was my favorite player, still is all time in NFL history. Well, you're going, when, you're going deep. There's been two kickers okay, situations. Different. Blair Walsh. No, was, that was Gary Anderson. That's that's the yeah, Anderson. Oh, I was mad about that. That's right. Yeah. So the Vikings, poor Vikings, but I think they've had could, a couple situations. I don't think you have a worse day than. Um, the Buffalo Bills kicker in the Super Bowl. For what do you sure. Three kicks? I, I don't know how many it was. Now, but that I, I'd be mad about. Yeah, yeah he'd have been kicked on the curb after that one. Yeah, he, that I'd be mad about. He absolutely would have been. And, of course, we got to go double doink in Chicago. Yeah. Where, it, it's funny, Mitch Trubisky absolutely delivered down the right sideline in that game and set up the field goal situation for Cody Parkey. And then you have a double doink situation for the Chicago Bears to actually lose. And it was the one moment Trubisky provides for you if you're a Chicago fan once they get to the postseason. After that, we know what's happened with Trubisky. Eventually oh. would lose his job. You know, if you were to deliver, you would have delivered a touchdown. But because he couldn't get the ball into the end zone, they had to settle. Like, how many seconds were there? Like 30? I don't and care. They, eh, that's it, yeah. I, Mahomes did it last last year. You're right. Trubisky, Josh Allen's done it. He's not Josh. Josh Allen, and he's not Pat Mahomes. I'm not going to argue about Trubisky. You, that's your boy. He's no, a Tar Heel quarterback. No, Trubisky is awful. Did you did you not like him with Chapel Hill either? With okay, it's North Carolina, Jeff Reed. But uh, is yeah, that what no, Jeff Reed does? I, I I do not. I never once thought he was worthy of being the number two overall pick, let alone the first quarterback. To, like it is absolute. Like people should and people did get fired. For drafting him they did. over to Sean Watson. Yeah, somebody wrote in, we had our own kicker blunder this year. Yes, that would happen against the Atlanta Falcons. All right, that'll do it for the Wesson Walker Show. Keep it right here. Kyle Bailey, Smoke Ludwig, coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.